Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. A few things to keep in mind. If you're called away as that little bikey next door wants that cup of sugar for his lab, don't despair. The program is podcast. You don't miss a minute. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Dot org dot au. If you want to leave a message, 0439 395 489. I should get back to you in a day or two. I won't get back to you straight away. But if you want to join public interest before corporate interests, leave a contact address and we'll send you out an application form. You haven't got a phone, only got a radio, a wind-up radio, don't despair, we do still answer letters. Not that we get many these days. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You want to help a struggling social movement? Well, it can always send $1 stamps to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 to help cover postage costs for public interest before corporateness because you may not believe this, many people are still not fodder for facebook we are fodder for facebook you can access and go to my personal well my facebook page toscano for the public to find out what i am doing politically socially no sorry off limits politically toscano for the public all the social and political sometimes intertwine and many times they do intertwine now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on direct democratic principles. That's equal decision-making power. People involved in decision make that decision, then elect or appoint recallable delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional, national and occasionally international levels. A society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. So if you want to become a billionaire or a millionaire... You want to cut off heads in the names of your religious faith? Well, the anarchist world this week is not for you. We are very boring, dull, but persistent campaigners for the establishment of a society based on direct democratic principles where wealth is held in common and used for the common good, where each individual has the capacity to develop themselves to their fullest potential. Because, you know... I'm a great believer in the cake analogy, not let them eat cake, although that would be nice to be able to eat cake every day. Uh, well, not in my case, considering 
my girth, which is diminishing, I understand. Not that I'd know. But you got a cake? All right. Let's think of Australia as a cake, the land of milk and honey. A nice cake with milk and honey on it, all right? Coconut on the top. Maybe it's a giant lamington. Doesn't matter. Now, let's say that 40% of the population own 1% of the cake. Yep. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. 40% of Australians own 1% of the cake. And then another... 10% 10% own about another 40 to 45% of that cake, you begin to understand that not everybody gets an equal distribution of the cake, do they? So that's simple. Politics is dead simple. Anarchism is, about, is dead simple. It's about creating a society without rulers. Why without rulers? Because inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to determine other people's fate and future. You, How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. Simple concepts. You don't need a PhD. You don't be a professor of political science. You just need to be an ordinary human being who wants to see a little bit of justice in this world. Now, I know I'm harping on about this, but I think we need to harp on about this. Now, the major... The major financial burden, right, for any, or for most Australians is housing. Whether you have a mortgage, whether you pay rent, whether you're on a social security benefit, whether you only have enough income to cover your the bills, housing is a major issue. It is a significantly major issue. And I, I really have to laugh. Look, I'm familiar with the situation in Victoria, not as familiar with other states in, in the Commonwealth of Australia, but I assume it's almost the same across the country. Now, in Victoria, they're spending about 35 to $40 billion to upgrade public transport and the transport system. You think, oh, well, that's fine. I mean, I drive a lot. I'll save a minute here, a minute there, 30 seconds here... Half an hour there, you know, I'll be able to uh, surf the net a little bit more, go to the beach in midwinter. Who knows? So you really think it's, that's a lot of assets, a lot of money being spent to improve a transport system. Then on the other hand, we have a very shrinking public housing sector in the state of Victoria. Less than 3% of Victorians, which is, I think, it's about 5.5 million people in Victoria, or around that number, now reside in public housing. And every day there's denigration of public housing tenants wherever you look, especially in the corporate-owned media and to a lesser extent the government guild at ABC. So the rest of people either rent pay a mortgage or own their property outright. And it's usually about 20 to 25% own their property outright, another 30 to 30%, 35% are paying a mortgage, another 30% or so, 35%, uh, even up to 40% are now renting property. So the major reason people need to work or have to work is to keep a roof over their heads. It accounts to 30 to 40 to 50%, in some cases 60 percent of a person's income to keep a roof over their head. So you would think 
You would think, and that's the dilemma of the anarchist world this week, we tend to think, which is something you don't really want to do in a corporate-driven world. You don't really want to think about it. You don't want to join the dots. You start joining the dots, you start frothing at the mouth and people think you've got rabies and shoot you. So you start to think. Now, wouldn't it be more appropriate for governments to be involved in the provision of housing for people? Hmm? Seems reasonable, doesn't it? Security, housing security. A big problem with renting in the private rental market is insecurity, especially if you've got kids. One week they're at this school, and the next year they're at another school, and the year after they're at another school, and obviously it affects their education. So it's an issue, a major issue. So you would think there would be some political impetus to do something about housing, apart from tinkering at the edges with a first home buyer's grant or you know some crappy little thing which you know benefits about two percent of the population. So you would think public housing would be the, the centre of debate. Now, in Victoria, there is a state election coming up on the 24th of November, and we've seen a state election in South Australia, we've seen a state election in Tasmania, There's a state elect- we've just seen a state election in Queensland, we've just seen a state election in, in, in Western Australia, there's a state election coming up in New South Wales in the near future, and the Australian Capital Territory, mm, let's not forget them, and the Northern Territory, they've just had a, an election about a year ago. So you would think that housing... Access to housing would be the major debating point by the dominant political parties in this country. As I said before, I'm familiar with the Victorian situation, being the co-convener of the Defend and Extend Public Housing Campaign, which has been going since December 2016, which, as I said before, or I'm going to say again, is a campaign. I've been involved in campaigns for over 50 years, more than I can care to recollect. But I found this is one of the most hardest campaigns to gain public awareness and public traction. Because the first time in history we have a perfect storm, a perfect storm coming. The Victorian state government is hell-bent on privatising what is left of the public housing sector. They would like to wash their hands of the responsibility of providing public housing, managing public housing, maintaining public housing. Okay? The Victorian Liberal National Party opposition would love to get rid of public housing tomorrow. They have no desire to keep public housing in government hands and government managed because public housing is housing that is government owned and managed publicly owned and publicly managed very simple okay so they're not interested then we look at the usual people who would be fighting for the public housing sector for the defense and extension of the public housing sector well there are missing in action the tenants associations the affordable housing groups, the community housing groups, the social housing groups, 
Because these are basically privately owned organisations. They're privately owned. They've got their own agenda. They've got their own constitution. They've, they've got their own plans. And they're waiting on the sidelines to get their hands on these public housing titles. So we don't see them coming out defending and extend, you know, the public housing sector and asking for it to be extended. And then we have the religious-based organisations which have got bloated and fat on all the government grants which they get to provide services to the more disadvantaged, I call them exploited sections of the community. They're not disadvantaged, they're exploited sections of the community. And if they open their mouths, they don't get their little government grants. So they tend to be on the sidelines. And then we have the tenants themselves who are living under a cloud of fear. Could you imagine you've lived in a place 10, 20 years, you're going to be forcefully turned away and you've got to be concerned about coming back to the same area, maybe five years, 10 years later. Who knows what happens in five to 10 years as things are redeveloped by the private sector. So there's nobody really there fighting for the public housing sector. The government's not interested. The federal government's not interested. The state government's not interested. The state opposition's not interested. The privately owned housing associations aren't interested. The tenants are too frightened to organise on a mass basis because of the possibility of evictions, and evictions happen constantly. The highest rates of eviction in the state don't occur in the private sector, they occur in the public housing sector. So we have this perfect storm where public housing has a concept, and it's an important concept because it has many ramifications that go beyond tenants in public housing, is about to disappear. Is about to disappear. Something which people fought for for decades, is about to disappear. Gone. Finished. Kaput. Because there is nobody, nobody except people like you and me, that are interested promoting this concept. Now, fortunately in Victoria, the Victorian Greens have a policy of both defending and extending public housing. And the only way I can see that public housing will continue to be an issue in this bellwether election on the 24th of November in Victoria is for the Greens to hold the balance of power in the next state government, the next uh, Victorian parliament. Because they've got a policy of both defending and extending, this is at the state level, of both defending and extending public housing, if they have the balance of power it gives them the possibility of negotiation for the protection and extension of public housing as a trade-off for one of the major parties continuing, continuing to govern the state of Victoria. So in late 2016, we were approached by Friends of Public Housing who again had been fighting in this space for years with little traction, to see if we could 
join this campaign. And public interest before corporate interests decided to set up a new organisation, defend and extend public housing. And if you want to find out about it, have a look at the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. Our motto, affordable housing, a right, not a privilege. And the idea was to, to organise this, um, to have this organisation created was to give people the opportunity to become involved in a campaign to both defend and extend public housing and ensure that public housing isn't wiped off the parliamentary agenda in this country for decades to come. It was launched in December 2016. To promote the idea that publicly, public housing should be publicly owned and publicly managed. And in Victoria, as I said before, the Andrews-led Labor government has embarked on a strategy of transferring the responsibility <laughs> of, providing, of providing public housing to the social, community and affordable housing sector. Privately owned and run organisations. Some not-for-profit, some for-profit. So our strategy was very simple. Well, we thought it was simple over a year and a half ago. We thought it was going to be very simple because we thought, wow, everybody understands the need for housing and everybody understands the role that public housing plays in a mixed economy. And what's a mixed economy? A mixed economy is an economy where the private sector and the state sector compete in the same space, in the same marketplace, and that puts downward pressure on prices. As we saw when the Commonwealth Bank was privatised, when Telstra was privatised, when state energy producing utilities were privatised, we saw and we continue to see the mess that was created and how prices have escalated, not fallen as we were promised in the first place. So we have a very simple proposal, a very simple proposal. It doesn't need blood in the streets. It doesn't need violent revolution. It's a simple proposal. All it needs is a majority of members in the House of Representatives, in, in the uh, Legislative Assembly in Victoria, in the Legislative Council in Victoria, passing legislation to ensure the $6 billion, which was collected last financial year from stamp duty in Victoria, a tax paid to the state government by buyers of real estate, is used solely to build, buy and manage public housing. Simple concept. If you can spend 30 to $40 billion building tunnels and roads and you know rail lines, which is not going to have a huge impact on people, not a huge impact, why not quarantine the $6 billion that is raised from stamp duty, which is a tax which is directly levied on the sale, the, on buyers of real estate. Quarantine it for public housing. This would ensure that at least 25,000, I'll repeat the number again, that at least 25,000 new homes units are added to the public housing list every year. 
You can do this through spot purchasing. You don't have to wait 10 years to build, you know, multi-storey apartments. Because public housing, as I said, should be available to everyone who cannot enter the private housing market. Not just not just those people, as we see today, in desperate circumstances. So why would anybody else who is not in public housing be interested, want to, become involved in a campaign to defend and extend public housing? As I said before, it's based on the concept of a mixed economy where the private sector competes with the public sector in the same space, in the same market space, in the same, you know, geographical locality, the Victorian state or the New South Wales or ACT or whatever. So how does it help people? Well, obviously, it helps the 30 to 35% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive to have a roof over their heads at a reasonable rental cost because public housing rentals are usually limited to 25% of a person's income. They're not based on market value of real estate at that particular point in time. It's based on the concept of paying 25% of your income. So if you earn $1,000 a week, well, you pay $250 a week. If you have a, you're on a, if you are on a new start allowance, well, you pay a quarter of that, $55 a week. So it's, by its very nature, what public housing does is decrease pressure, financial pressure on people and allows them to participate in the economy. Because if you're spending 40, 50, 60% of your income on rent, which is basically wasted money, then there's not enough left to be part of the economy. So obviously public housing and increased public housing stocks would benefit people on social security benefits. So how does that benefit people who are renting? It's very simple. Supply and demand. Very simple. If you have a large public housing sector, say 25% of houses, units, dwellings, are part of the public housing sector, say, you put downward pressure on rents because fewer people need to rent in the private marketplace. So therefore, rents would drop. That would help the 35% of Victorians who need to rent or the 30% of Australians who need to rent if you've got a strong national public housing sector because public housing doesn't have to be just a state government responsibility. We've seen state governments hand over responsibilities to the federal government and I'm sure that most state governments, if not all state governments and territory governments, would hand over the responsibility of housing to the federal government if it financed it. So it can be a federal government issue. So it puts downward pressure on rents. Now, if, if investors don't get a return, what do they tend to do? They flog the bloody place. So at the lower end of the market, you would see a drop in real estate prices, which would mean that more and more people could enter the real estate market at the lower end. More and more young couples could enter the real estate market, could actually start 
you know, buying off a house, paying off a house. And last but not least, if 25% of the population live in public housing, think of the money which will be released into the economy to kickstart the economy because instead of paying 50, 40, 60% of your income on rent, if you only pay 25%, that's an extraordinary amount of cash you can have to do other things. So defending extending public housing is an issue that affects everybody and benefits everybody except the 9 to 10% of Australians who rely on this government's negative gearing laws to minimise their tax legally and own a number of properties. Now, it really won't help them, but it will give them a warm inner glow. But it will help them in one way. Because with increasing inequality, you get increasing violence, not just interpersonal violence, but violence in the community. So instead of having to waste money on security systems and security guards and looking over your shoulder every minute of the day because you don't know what's going to happen, if you have a society where people' basic needs are met, then the levels of violence decrease in that society. So in, in some ways it does assist the 9 to 10% of Australians who rely on investment properties, you know, use investment properties to legally minimise their tax responsibility. So if you're interested in public housing, and why wouldn't you be, join us. We've got rallies planned in Victoria anyway, and if you want to do it in the rest of Australia, no reason why you can't set up a Defend and Extend Public Housing branch today. 9th of May, 20th of June, 25th of July, 22nd of August, 19th of September, all parliamentary sitting days will be outside Victorian Parliament House. But go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing page. And if you are listening to this program on Wednesday, the 11th of April, the next public housing rally is on Wednesday, the 11th of April, at midday, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Now, I know I've taken up a lot of your time looking at this issue, but this is central central to the type of society we are. By diverting the $6 billion of money, which is raised from stamp duty just in Victoria into public housing, you can house a million Victorians in public housing within a decade and you can do the same thing in the ACT, in Tasmania, in Western Australia and the list goes on and on. And if the federal government takes it on, as a responsibility, because state governments are willing to give over that responsibility to the federal government, then you could actually see the so-called housing crisis, which we are faced with every day as we step over people sleeping in the streets, we could resolve that issue tomorrow. doesn't take a revolution, doesn't take blood in the streets, doesn't, you know, simple act of parliament. Quarantine. Stamp duty revenue in every state, in every territory in this country to support, manage, extend, purchase, build public housing. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scar. I'm hosting today's program. You can uh, leave messages on 0439 395 489. 
You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. Want to join public interest before corporate interest? We're looking for new members, especially members on the electoral roll, so we can actually uh, ensure that this organisation uh, becomes a registered federal political party in the near future. Go to pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download the application form, send it in. You'll get a membership card and hey, presto, in one of the... Uh, fastest growing political organisations in this country. Well, you could be if we grew a bit faster. All right. And if you want to see the activities I'm particularly involved in, which I'm promoting, go to Toscana for the Public. And if you are in the city of Melbourne, you want to do something different on a Wednesday night between 6pm and 9.30pm, join us at the Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant at 20 Smith Street in Collingwood. It won't be a scintillating conversa- political conversation, but you'll have a bit of fun. You'll meet like, like-minded people and uh, you'll go home reasonably happy because you didn't have to bore yourself watching TV, Netflix or surfing the net or even t- Twittering. Okay, let's move on. Slow violence, slow resistance. You like that? Slow violence, slow resistance. What's he talking about? Is he finally lost his marbles? Well, it was a concept I came across recently which tickled my fancy. Slow violence. No, no, I don't want to punch you slowly. I don't want you to kick you to kick me slowly. If you're going to do it, do it quickly. But slow violence. So what is slow violence? What does the word mean? Well, it's, it's fascinating. Now, we all know about violence when somebody punches you in the face or kicks you in the guts or the police come around and, you know, uh, break up your little demonstration or you're tossed into a jail. So we all know about violence or when, you know, you do a missile strike on somebody across the world, other side of the world. Violence, clear. But what is slow violence? Slow violence occurs when the state apparatus is used to deny people their basic rights, their basic human rights, whether it's a right to housing, whether it's a right to education, whether it's a right to personal security. That's what slow violence is. So it's institutionalised inequality. Where inequality is institutionalised through legislation or through structures which are created to ensure that not everybody shares in the Commonwealth. So slow violence is when you can't access health care or dental care because you don't have the resources to access that essential care. Slow violence occurs is when you are homeless or having trouble meeting your debts, especially housing debts, because you can't find work or the work you find is part-time, casualised and poorly paid. That's slow violence. 
Slow violence occurs when communities are stigmatised, ostracised, marginalised because of the actions of some individuals in that community where everybody is tarred with the same brush. That's slow violence. And our society is a cesspit of slow violence. Education is a classical example. If you've got the disposable income, you can buy the best education money can buy. If you don't have a disposable income, you're forced to send your children to a public institution which is not resourced properly because the resources that should go to that public education facility are diverted into the private sector. That is slow violence where your children become sacrificial lambs on Mammon's altar. That is slow violence. Slow violence is when we allow unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility it is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs, to put their interests, the interests of the few, before the public interest, the interests of the many, many. That is slow violence. And we are mired in it on a day-to-day basis. So how do you tackle this issue of slow violence? You tackle it by organising. You tackle it by resisting. And most importantly of all, you tackle it with your purse. Because in a capitalist society, you still have the right via which to direct your disposable income. And it could be that through community boycotts, through financial pressures, that we can put direct pressure on corporations and governments at the state and federal level to tackle this issue, to ensure there is an equitable distribution of the Commonwealth in this country. And nothing highlights this more dramatically than the ludicrous situation that we have in this country where there is not enough gas supply to meet domestic needs while we are the major exporter of gas on the planet while trying to pressure state governments and territories to introduce fracking into our society in order to make up that gas shortfall which has been created through allowing gas supplies to be exported willy-nilly for almost nothing. That's slow violence. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, those of you who still celebrate the 1st of May as Labor Day, May Day, the 1st of May, well, if you find yourself in the city of Melbourne, 
We ask that the Anarchism Institute is organising May Day celebrations for the 1st of May, which falls on a Tuesday. In the state of Victoria, there is no public holiday for the 1st of May, so traditionally it's celebrated on the first Sunday after the 1st of May, right? which I think will be about the 7th or 6th of, of May. Good luck to them. But we celebrate the 1st of May, on the 1st of May, because in Melbourne it was the anarchists who created that celebration. Chummy Fleming, in 1892, bootmaker, anarchist activists, was responsible for initiating the first May Day celebrations in Melbourne on the 1st of May, 1892. And we celebrate that day, and we've been celebrating that day on the day it falls, and this year it falls on a Tuesday. So there will be material out in the next uh, few days, next week or so, regarding the celebrations, but set aside the day. Tell the boss, I'm not coming on the 1st of May, May Day is my day, but I'm happy to come in on the Queen's birthday weekend. I'm happy to come in on the public holiday for the Queen's birthday. I can't give a sh- I don't give a shit about the old biddy, all right? But I do care about the 1st of May. So we'll be starting at 11am at Chummy Place. I think it's the only site in the whole of Australia which has been named after an Australian a- anarchist. Chummy Place in Carlton. We'll start there at 11am. We'll walk across to the eight-hour monument, which is only about a kilometre and a half away, um, make a few speeches and then move on to Her Majesty's Theatre. Why Her Majesty's Theatre? Because in 1886, and remember the anarchists were the first people who celebrated May Day in Melbourne, on the 1st of May, 1886, Australia's first anarchist organisation was formed, the Melbourne Anarchist Club. And the Melbourne Anarchist Club was formed on the 1st of May 1886, not as a fortuitous accident, but because in eight, two years previously, the United Trade Union Congress of Canada and the United States called on the 1st of May 1886 to be a day of international protests for the introduction of an eight-hour day. So the Melbourne Anarchist Club was formed on the 1st of May 1886 Australia's first anarchist organisation as a direct consequence of that call. So we, as anarchists, we are intimately involved in May Day celebrations in the city of Melbourne and the cities around this country. It is our day. So I'll have a full program for you next week, but set aside Tuesday the 1st of May. And if you're setting aside days, don't forget Marbo Day the 3rd of June. It's a Sunday. Set aside the afternoon. From midday, we'll have a full program and I'll talk about that in the next uh, week or two. Equity markets. Lovely word, isn't it? It's got a beautiful ring about it. Equity markets. Equity markets. I love it. Well, it's a fancy name for heaps of money which is kind of floats around the world looking for places to buy, exploit and make more money from. Now, equity markets love private enterprises that are bankrolled 
by governments. There is nothing more profitable than buying out and stripping private enterprises which are bankrolled by governments. And Australia is an equity marketeer's dream. It's an equity marketeer's wet dream. They wake up in the middle of the night really excited because the privatisation of the public sector in this country has ensured that government money by the truckloads, billions of dollars, is poured into privately owned organisations to provide essential services for people. And although we now have a number of four or five large corporations which dominate the marketplace, the equity markets are looking around to buy out these corporations to get this guaranteed return. And the sections they're looking at are private education, all those nice private schools that are run by local committees and religious organisations are ripe for takeover. The nursing home sector, Australia's fastest growing sector, as we grow older and live longer, profits to be made. Equity markets, looking at the private nursing home sector in Australia, great investment opportunity. And what do equity marketeers do when they take over a particular industry? They screw the customers. They reduce the services. All they're interested in is maximising profits. Childcare, another beautiful place where government money, you know, pays 70, 80% of of these private organisations. Wonderful. So we've got all these privatised organisations. The National Disability Insurance Scheme, 40 cents in every dollar, will go to management and profits for these organisations which are being developed to dominate the marketplace in the new National Health Insurance Scheme. The list goes on and on. The provision of services to the exploited, inverted commas, the needy, the disadvantaged, the exploited. Billions of dollars. So let's get ready. Let's move on. Now, those of you who keep an eye on the world may have been a little bit uh, surprised, surprised about all this kerfuffle. It's a beautiful word, kerfuffle, isn't it? Kerfuffle, I'll say it again, regarding the Chinese in Vanuatu. Horrendous fort, isn't it? A Chinese military base in our region in Vanuatu. And then I thought to myself, now don't we have a number of military bases in Australia? United States military bases in Australia. Haven't we allowed the United States greater access to Australia as far as their armed services are concerned, especially in the Northern Territory and Northern Western Australia? 
aren't we seeing more and more of these secret bases that are located in Australia being used to conduct drone warfare in the Middle East and Afghanistan? Hmm? So what's all the shouting about? I mean, if we had no military, US military bases in Australia, I could understand. I could understand us being very upset about seeing the Chinese militarise the Pacific, but the Pacific has already been militarised. It's just that it hasn't been militarised for the Chinese Communist Party. It's been militarised by the United States, who's got bases all over the place, including Guam, and the list goes on and on. So let's stop talking about militarising the Pacific. The Pacific has been militarised. Australia has been militarised. We're part of that US alliance. We think we're going to become a great arms exporter and make lots of money by producing arms. So let's put a little bit of debate, a little bit, let's get rid of the hysteria and actually look at what's going on. What we're seeing is a tit for tat. The Chinese Communist Party, which is flexing its muscle through the Chinese government, saying, well, we're ringed by US bases, why don't we form a few overseas Chinese bases? And we do have a problem which we don't seem to be able to grapple with. Because when you realise that 60% of the United States naval forces are, are used to ring the emerging Chinese um, mammoth, you begin to... And, and then you realise that China is Australia's largest and most significant and growing trading partner you begin to realise we have a dilemma. Because on the one hand, we're trading with the enemy, and on the other hand, you know, we're arm in arm with the United States of America. Big issue. Big issue. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it. There's always a, there's always a problem when you try to eat your cake. Sometimes. So let's put a little bit of... Uh, Logic, And when you think about it, look at all these little Pacific Island countries, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea, which is pretty big, Solomon Islands, West Papua, part of Indonesia, obviously. And while we're talking about West Papua, I'd like to thank all those people who came to the West Papua and uh, Ren Collective do on uh, Sunday. It went really well. We are looking for new members. The West Papua activists are involved in activity for independence in this country unlike most people who come to this country looking for the uh, pot of gold, these people, refugees, still are struggling for independent homeland. So if you want to join the West Papuan Rent Collective, dollar a day, very simple, pay the rent, give them the opportunity to use 100% of their time to pursue the independent struggle, well then, join the Rent Collective. Give me a call, 04 39-395-489. Write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. We are looking for members of the Rent Collective. We are signing another 12-month lease for the office in uh, Collins Street in Docklands. Very successful office. Gives the West Papuan activists a springboard by which to promote 
their independence activities. They hope to have the matter raised in the United Nations Decolonisation Committee in the very near future. So, so, think about it. Think about it. Now, my favourite subject, automation. There are a lot of shitty jobs in the world, really crappy jobs, which kill people, make them ill, break their backs. A lot of shitty jobs. And traditionally, human beings did these jobs. And there's some boring, repetitive, meaningless work. A lot of it around. I'm sure you've all participated in boring, repetitive, meaningless work in order to get a few brass razus so you can actually pay the rent and pay the bills and stop people from the ATO harassing you. That's if you pay tax. So there's a, things afoot. We're told Mr Turnbull gets up and says, look at me, we've created more jobs since Federation. I say, yeah, sure, mate. Well, the NAB, the National Australia Bank, is about to let go 6,000 staff because of automation. The Australian Tax Office is down to less, just above 20,000 20, employees to run a huge system. And no wonder they're having issues when you outsource a lot of that work to uh, uh, organisations which just just interested in making a buck. They don't care how they make that buck. But automation is a big issue. It is a big issue because it throws into doubt the very essence of what capitalism is. Capitalism relies on people being wage slaves. Whether they're in micro-business, working for themselves, whether they work for uh, in the public sector or the uh, corporate sector, wage slavery is the essence of being in a capitalist society. You don't earn, you rely on the social security system. The social security system takes care of the basic necessity. So you need to earn. So you need to be a wage slave. I'm a wage slave, you're a wage slave. That's the reality we face. But with automation, you don't need wage slaves. The number of wage slaves you need diminishes dramatically. So these people are at a loose end. They're not receiving income. And they're relying more and more on government social security benefits in order to survive, which means there is less money going back into the economy because they're actually not earning. So as the population increases, automation increases, it doesn't matter how an artificial intelligence becomes a real possibility, you've got a dilemma. It's the same dilemma the Roman Empire had over 2,000 years ago. When with the expansion of the Roman Empire and the expansion of slavery in the Roman Empire as their major source of labour, the patricians, the ruling class, didn't need the plebeians, the working class. They just didn't need them anymore. But they had a dilemma. What to do with all these people milling around with nothing to do? And the old term bread and circuses, you know, came from that. Subsidised food, subsidised housing, 196 public holidays a year, you know, keeps the plebeians at bay, right? Keeps them from challenging the order, the established order. 
So the concept of a living wage becomes more and more important in any debate we have about in which direction this society will go. A living wage, irrespective of what you do or don't do. And a living wage not only gives you economic independence, it breaks the nexus between people who are in in a partnership, whether your partner, where one works, one doesn't, one's dependent on the other. Each partner has the ability to live their own life irrespective of that financial pressure. So a universal living wage is the big issue of the future, big issue in the next 10 to 20 years as automation becomes more and more rampant, as jobs are offshored to cheaper labour markets, which you see every day, and as there is less of a need for people to be involved in the productive process, we have to decide how the Commonwealth is shared amongst each and every one of us. So in many regards, we are moving towards that society which is based on equal power and equal access to society's wealth. And a universal living wage will be the major issue, obviously, apart from climate change, the major issue that we have to face as a society. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Want to join public interest before corporate interests? Download the, applica- download the application form, form from pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Especially if you're on the electoral roll, we would love you to join. If you're not on the electoral roll, that's fine too. But we can't use your application to register pipsy.net or public interest before corporate interest as a political, federal political party. If you want to join the Rent Collective, the West Papuan Rent Collective, 0439 395 489 or anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to my Facebook page, Toscane for the Public. Toscane for the Public. See what activities I'm involved in. Join me in these activities. You don't like what I'm doing? Create your own page. Create your own activities. And don't forget the Defend and Extend Public Housing Campaign, which will continue to the 24th of November. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah!